We often pray, Jesus, I trust in you. But what does that even mean? Are we afraid to let go, thinking that the Lord is going to ask more than we could possibly give? Do we really believe that the Lord is totally, madly in love with each one of us? Join us today as we discuss those questions and more with Sister Faustina Maria Pia Bianchi, author of Jesus, I Trust in You, a 30-day personal retreat with a litany of trust. I'm Father Dave Pavonkin. I'm president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavanka. I'm president of Franciscan University of Steubenville. And today we're talking about trusting in Jesus. I'm joined by our panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, professor of systematic theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon, professor of biblical theology and the new evangelization here at Franciscan. We're particularly pleased to welcome our special guest, Sister Faustina Maria Pia Bianchi, Sister Faustina is a member of the Sisters of Life in New York City, formerly the assistant to the Sisters of Life Vocations Office, and now she lives and serves in their Holy Respite Mission in Manhattan, which welcomes pregnant women in need to live with the Sisters. Sister Faustina is also the author of the Litany of Trust and the book, Jesus, I Trust in You, which we will discuss in our conversation today. I also want to say just personally that she's a graduate of Franciscan University. So That's welcome right. back. It's nice to have you. Oh, thank you so much. It's a joy to be back. Good. Yeah. Could you please just share with us how, a little bit about your story and how is it that you got here? Sure. It's lovely. Looking back, um, I marvel at God's goodness and His generosity. I love my life. And I didn't think I was going to be a sister, but um, I came here to Franciscan and I was drawn to psychology. I thought I'd go into counseling, something about the healing of the mind and um, kind of the marvel of how God created us as humans. And yet that didn't quite fit what my heart was looking for. So I actually switched into nursing, did uh, that, and I thought the healing of the body, there was something straightforward and kind of pleasing about if someone's sick, we give them this, and we're with them in that time of suffering. And I could remember, you know, very keenly at moments with being with people who are suffering and feeling God's presence mm -hmm. and feeling a real privilege to that, and yet knowing that they weren't aware of that and kind of the sadness of, of missing that opportunity mm -hmm. to encounter God in that place. And yet still, I remember coming home from a, a clinical late at night, you know, you're exhausted, full day at the hospital, kind of flopping into bed, wanting to go to sleep, but being so restless inside, thinking, gosh, I'm not happy, what's wrong? And really crying out to God with a, a, a truly honest prayer. Maybe I had been going to church, but I hadn't made a real honest confession in a while. I hadn't really been straightforward with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I really was um, very frank with him. And I said, God, I, I know you made me to be happy. I want to be happy. Why am I so restless inside? And I started to give him these desires of my heart. And it was a grace because as I was giving it to him, I felt this emptying, this, this, this silence kind of enter into my heart. And I heard with the ears of my heart, I want you for myself. Mm -hmm. And it was a very affirming choosing that I experienced of, of God saying, you know, I know that your life's not all in order right now, but I desire your love. 
I felt very free in that moment to say yes or no, and I knew what he was meaning to be a consecrated, to be a sister. I didn't know what it was going to be like, but I knew, something in my heart knew that I couldn't pass up this love that was being offered to me. And so I said yes, and I came to see it as that actually the healing that he wants me to par- be a part of with him is this healing of the soul. Mm. Um, to bring souls home that with the charism of life with the sisters, this respect for um, life, this sacred quality of life that is so overlooked in our society, that um, when we encounter God's love, that heals us, and it awakens us to this beautiful dignity and this beautiful destiny to be united with Him forever. And that's the healing that I wanted to be a part yeah. of. Mm-hmm. That's really moving, uh, mm-hmm. Sister. Yeah. Did you complete the nursing studies? Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So, so nature I'm God's nurse be. now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. My father yeah. was a physician, and in my first Mass, the priest who preached said, you know, Father Dave's dad heals the body, and Father Dave's a part of healing the soul. So okay. it really, it's yeah. really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then maybe just a minute or two just sharing about the Sisters of Life. I think you've got a, such a beautiful charism. Yes, we do. I'm so grateful. So we live to proclaim that every human life is sacred um, and to really enhance and protect that. No matter what a person has suffered, no matter what has been ha- happened to them and what they have endured and maybe the choices that they've made, that God pursues each soul with his love in a radical way. And that is it's what the heart is thirsting for, every human person is thirsting for. So to really live that with our lives, um, obviously in, in the giving of our lives, to believe that first and foremost in ourselves, but um, living our lives in prayer and letting that overflow to helping women in pregnancies that are in crisis, to help them to see yeah, God's abundant fidelity to them and this school of love that they so desire, blessing them with this little child. Um, and. Um, walking with them. Some of them live with us, so I live mm-hmm. at that place, mm-hmm. and it's a joy to see these heroic women make these beautiful choices for themselves and their children, and then also working with those who have suffered after abortion um, on this tremendous journey of healing and hope and new life. Um, that's really an inspiration for all of us. Yeah. What year was yeah. it founded? 1991, and Cardinal yeah. O'Connor is yeah. our founder. Yeah. He is a, a beautiful um, yeah, witness to the culture of life. And you have a story of him as a, yes. uh, a Navy chaplain, yes. a priest, you know, in mm-hmm. the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't sure exactly who it was until you disclosed his identity. <laughs> and I remember him coming here for an honorary doctorate okay. for commencement. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the story's been told by so many mm-hmm. people, but uh, he saw the, um, the tomb for the unborn mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. told the Knights of Columbus, and they ended up putting in practically every diocese. But back then, he also shared with us uh, about the Sisters of Life. Mm-hmm. And it was like a newborn community, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it was so exciting. Yeah. And the first three or four that you meet, you're like, wow, the Lord has anointed this mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's a, the story told of his installation mm-hmm. as Archbishop of New York, mm-hmm. and Mother Teresa was yeah. in the crowd, yeah. and she accosted him and said, <laughs> give God permission. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he did. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. suppose you knew him. So he died in 2000. I entered in 2009. I grew up in Connecticut, so I actually had gone to the Papal Mass when John Paul II came to Central Park, and so I was in a, blessed to have a pretty close spot. So as a kid, I remember looking up and seeing John Paul II. Cardinal Connor was by his side that mm-hmm. whole mm-hmm. whole trip, and yeah. um, my mom had a tremendous love for Cardinal Connor. But I think because he was so unabashed, she just mm-hmm. said it as well, it was, his yeah. column, everything. So. When he died, she insisted, and I'm so grateful, thank you, Mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that she's like, we're going to go and see and pray before him as he's lying mm-hmm. and stayed there. And so we, I remember, you know, as a teenager, young teen, going
going to St. Patrick's, kneeling in front of him. I'm sure the Sisters of Life were there, but I, I wasn't noticing sure. them, but I prayed in front of him um, for the church and for myself, for my family. And I, and I looked back There's with such gratitude. There, yeah, that's really beautiful. Such gratitude. Beautiful. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Bergman's dad was close friends. He was a Protestant chaplain. Mm -hmm. And when Cardinal O'Connor was a priest chaplain in Hawaii, mm -hmm. they were really close. That's and really uh, yeah. he attended uh, Cardinal's, uh, Cardinal Archbishop O'Connor's installation okay. as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but when uh, John Bergsma told me, growing up, you just saw this man, you know, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. larger than life, but he had a filled presence. with faith. Yeah. 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 So in a way, you've never left uh, your neighborhood. I know. Right? I mean, <laughs> headquarters, uh, the mother house is in Connecticut. Yeah. You're now hanging out in Midtown Manhattan at yes. a place called Holy Respite. Yeah. I mean, one, one is surprised to think of any place in Manhattan <laughs> providing a respite, <laughs> much <laughs> less but holy. But if anyone, but, but if if anyone could do it, the sisters <laughs> could. Yeah. Okay, so it takes back to, um, you're sharing the story alone at night, mm -hmm. kind of this emptiness and, and the sense of the Lord calling you and inviting mm -hmm. you and you saying yes. That there's a sense of trust in that. So is there, is there, is that the beginning of you thinking about trust and the litany of trust and just mm -hmm. you're giving yourself to mm -hmm. him? How did the litany, yeah. which is we need to talk about, but yeah. how did that come about? Did it come about beginning sure. there? So my mother had a conversion when she was a teen through St. Faustina. So my baptismal name is Faustina which is a beautiful gift and something that I had to grow into, but um, I, I chose it as my religious name to kind of confirm it on my own heart. But to be honest with you, I had read the Diary of St. Faustina and some of it I understood and some of it was really probably yeah. was far out there. So as I entered religious life, I started to pray to her a little bit more. And it wasn't until several years into my religious life that I encountered a suffering that, as we all do, it can disorient us. Um, and all of a sudden, I was asking God, you know, kind of like, tell me your intentions, like, <laughs> you know, as awful as it sounds, and had the suffering had this flavor of like, you know, did did God walk out on me here? Was mm. He kind of leaving me on my own? And and as I was sitting in in that uh, that feeling in this in this place of suffering for months, as I was praying, I felt like Jesus saying, "Well, trust me." And of course, that's the the the, the mantra of, of Saint mm -hmm. Faustina, and. For the first time in my life, I, I realized I don't, I don't know what trust is. I, I, I don't want to trust if it's just letting go and just kind of blindly walking here. Um, my heart wants to be engaged, but I, I feel pain when I'm engaged. And, and so I was really pushing up against this and saying, well, what is trust? And um, after many months, I remember being again at night in my room mm -hmm. here, maybe that's the theme, um, looking at a crucifix and not so much in words, but having this conversation with Jesus in my heart, saying, you know, if I just knew what you were up to, <laughs> I would be okay with this, but I, 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 I can't believe you're letting this happen, you know? And you know I hate this, and you know this is hard for me, and all these things. And Jesus was very patient, and I felt for the first time in a while, like a real clear, almost sense from him, that the experience felt like he was coming down and lifting up my chin to almost look at him like I had been off in my own world, and and him saying, you know, I don't want your yes to go to a bunch of circumstances, mm. but I want your yes to go to me. And something really clicked in that moment in a profound way in my heart because I had been praying for clarity what to do in this situation. Clarity, clarity. I wasn't even praying for trust. And in that moment, I had a striking clarity, but the clarity was so different. The clarity was, oh my goodness, this is what love is. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it means to trust, to depend on you, to put myself in your hands. And... 
I wanted it. I wanted that. And he knew that I wanted that more than the clarity of this particular situation. And so my whole heart kind of lunged in this direction to say, oh my goodness, I, I want to believe that you have this figured out. And I want to believe that I don't have to understand it. And I felt this freedom kind of be breathed into my heart to let go and to, to not hold on to being um, secure in my understanding. And in the same moment, I heard across my heart, you know, this this litany of trust, right? And I wasn't thinking about writing a prayer. Mm. That was not on my mind at all. And litany of trust was definitely not on my prayer. I'm not a big litany person, but I, mm. I had heard of the litany of humility, which was intense. And I said, <laughs> okay, well, I know the format of that, and maybe I can start with that. And it has this deliver me part, and it has Jesus grant me the grace to desire. So I was like, okay, deliver me. And then this affirmation, okay, Jesus, I trust in you. And within 15 to 20 minutes, I wrote it. Mm. I didn't think mm. about what it means to trust. I didn't think about, um, you know, how, how, how to format which goes first. I, I, I honestly believe God gave it to me because I needed it. Mm. And he knew that he wanted to capture this moment of desire and openness that I had. And he said, okay, well, run with this. And, and I had also desire that others would feel the, the same desire and the same um, ability to jump in. So as a, I was writing it, I knew I needed it, but I also knew that in time it would be for others. Mm-hmm. You know, you just used two images, you know, run with it and jump. <laughs> and when it's I'm true. reading your book, yeah. I'm thinking of my brother who was in running track. Mm-hmm. And for a little while, he tried the hurdles and he didn't stick with it because <laughs> he just hit too many yeah. and he wasn't tall enough, you mm-hmm. know. But it, it's sort of like when you try to run the hurdles, you have one at a time, you know, mm-hmm. you have to find your stride. But I got a sense that when you were done, you look back. And you had a clear perspective on all of the hurdles that you had to clear in order to write that litany. You know, and I, I'm sure you give all the glory to our Lord, but I think he also wants to give you an girl. you know, because you cleared so many. And then when you articulate them for this 30-day retreat, it's like, I don't know if there's a single one that I haven't struggled with. Yeah. And it's like, you don't even let yourself know, especially when you are running the hurdles and you knock one down. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't really clear it, mm-hmm. but you have to keep running. Mm-hmm. And so I have found this so helpful and family members and friends mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. as well. And so, you know, I just had to discharge this debt of gratitude by saying thank you for writing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. I, I loved uh, that one particular image of you, you sketch out early on in the book about the heart, mm-hmm. the two valves mm-hmm. or chambers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's space to open. Yes to receive, and then there's a space to let go, mm-hmm. to communicate, and the, the area in between those bookends mm-hmm. is where the relationship happens mm-hmm. uh, with Christ. And mm-hmm. it is personal, mm-hmm. uh, not private, yeah. not mm-hmm. solitary, but profoundly personal, mm-hmm. but it's also meant for others. Mm-hmm. So how's that working out <laughs> in, in Midtown Manhattan? I mean, are you able to communicate yeah. something of that to them? Yeah, I do think images make something simple, and I, I do like the visual because the spiritual life can be so not tangible for others. Mm-hmm. And, but relationships, when you bring it, trust is, is a relational term, and, and everybody struggles with relationships. And yeah. so it's a very easy entryway into conversation with people that we're working with that have had trust broken right. and are struggling in relationships. And out of fear, which is really uh, an enemy yeah. of trust, this fear, we, 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 we come into self-reliance and we're like, you know, I'm going to do everything on my own, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to receive love. And I'm not going to give my love because it might, you know, be rejected. And so it's very easy to kind of show, like, well, this is this is why we're frustrated. We were made to live 
to receive love and to give it. And God is this safe refuge that we can learn right, right. where He won't He won't retaliate. Mm -hmm. He won't um, belittle our pain. Like it's a great entry, and we can be the face of God in some small way, um, trying to live the unconditional love in in personal. We have much more to discuss, so stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. I think we're really blessed to have such accessibility to the sacraments, and when I need to trust more and need to lean into that more, I lean on the sacraments and going every day as much as I can. So my sophomore year here at Franciscan, you know, I had had a little bit of devotion to Divine Mercy, but not as strongly as when I joined my household Daughters of Divine Mercy. And through formation, you know, that helped me really to to formulate a greater trust in God and to understand more. Um, and yeah, just to become closer to Divine Mercy and to understand really what St. Faustina meant when she said, like, trust in Jesus and everything. Um, and yeah, that's just kind of my, Daughters of Divine Mercy has really helped me to learn how to trust and what trust is in the Lord. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're discussing the topic of trusting in Jesus. So, Sister, what does it mean to trust? It's important. It's um, living in New York, everybody that I encounter, <laughs> they're like, Sister, I don't trust anybody, you know? And, and the truth is, we've all been hurt. Our trust has been broken, so it is a hard question, but it is so worthy of being answered. Um, well, if you look up trust, it's the, the simple thing is, you know, to rely on, to depend on um, another. And we were speaking a little bit about it being a relational term. So it is a foundation for a deep relationship. Obviously, we can love somebody. You know, we can love our alcoholic friend, for example, but do we trust them with our car keys? You know, trust brings it to a, another level. And in a way, when we're talking about, as Catholics, our faith, our faith is a relationship with a person. You know, Jesus, that is the means of our salvation, this receptivity to this love that he's giving us in this life. And trust is necessary to receive St. Faustina. My patron has this beautiful direct quote that the Lord speaks to her in her diary, number 1578, where he says, the, grace, uh, the graces of my mercy come through by means of one vessel only, and that is trust. The more a soul mm -hmm. trusts, the more it will receive. So Jesus is very plainly pointing to trust as this ability to really keep our hearts open to receive mm -hmm. this unconditional love. And trust, um, I really believe, it has to be linked with this sense of God's mercy because we can trust many things that have not been good for us. Absolutely. And we've been hurt yeah. and can retract from, from the whole notion of it entirely because of that. So the important thing really is to, to see how Jesus is not just asking us to trust. He's asking, trust my mercy. And this mercy of God, well, what is this mercy that we should trust is this unconditional love, this undeserved love that's freely given. Mm -hmm. And that is why... Um, you know, every sinner has a right to it and can kind of approach with confidence because it's not about how good I've been, that right, God is still yeah. loving me and that love will heal me and flourish my person into who I was created to be. And God knows that and he sees that in us and uh, the depths of our identity, Amen. that goodness. Amen. Well, sister, uh, you really uh, hit it out of the park, uh, <laughs> I think, when you struck the metaphysical mm -hmm. chord uh, mm -hmm. early on in the book mm -hmm. when you insist, mm -hmm. as Thomas Aquinas mm -hmm. does, that even to be is a function of divine mercy. Yes. It's not yes. justice. It's mercy. Mm -hmm. It's love. Mm -hmm. We have no entitlement to, to <laughs> exist, <laughs> and yet we do. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a mercy. Mm -hmm. And so we ought to be grateful mm -hmm. uh, for this act of being, mm -hmm. which is the outpouring of a Trinitarian God, yes. 
I am because God is, and God is love, and that's why I am, and I'm good. So maybe I should trust this guy who gave me life. You know, I, I think of my own personal struggles in line with that, and it's really hard because it's, it's so much easier to relate to God as a judge. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you back up and you're like, okay, you're also a legislator because you're going to judge me <laughs> on the basis of what you do with your laws. And what are your laws? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. You know, okay, you've summarized them in the Decalogue. That's helpful. Are there that many? You have 613 <laughs> the rabbis counted, you know. And, and what's the first one? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, Deuteronomy 6.5. Mm -hmm. It's like, wait, you're the legislator, the judge, but what is the law? Love? Mm -hmm. And then you just said it, you are love. Mm -hmm. God is love. Mm -hmm. So he can't legislate anything other than what he is because he wants us to experience that. And it's like, well, that's not like calculus. That's mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. addition, you know, mm -hmm. not subtraction. And mm -hmm. it's so basic, you know, at least for theologians, we're looking for something mm -hmm. much more, mm -hmm. you know, I pledge my allegiance to you, O Lord, or, but it's, I pledge you my troth, yeah, yeah. my life. And mm -hmm. it's so much more from the heart mm -hmm. in a way that is akin to 43 years of marriage with my bride. Mm -hmm. And uh, I must admit, reading this, I'm like, wow, I'm a piker. <laughs> you know, I'm still, mm -hmm. I'm still just taking baby steps. Mm -hmm. you know, I think what was beautiful about it, though, is that you, you make it so personal, that it's not, it's not just an idea to trust, or not just trusting in a power, or trusting in an idea, trusting in a theology and into philosophy, but it's, mm -hmm. it's ultimately a person. So that if, if an individual, yeah, if an individual has an encounter with Jesus, how do you how do you help them make that step? Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you lead people that you know that you're dealing with every day that are mm -hmm. just really having a hard time trusting? Yeah, well, I think a beautiful opportunity for all of us is that when we encounter someone who's suffering, which again would be all of us in our lives, there's no shortage of that. Is um, the, the yeah beautiful opportunity is to meet them with love because that gives them the courage that there is hope that. Me and my misery and my hopelessness and my powerlessness, whatever I'm experiencing, this, this vulnerability I'm so scared to show is okay. This person is going to love me, whatever I say. That opportunity is huge. I think that's one of the beautiful things that God gives us, obviously. But when somebody doesn't know God, we give them a chance to test out that space. Mm -hmm. And then if they see that we're loving, then I say, well, where do I get the strength? Where did I get this? Is there's a source that's bigger than me that you recognize in me that's for you too. And I think that that is a beautiful, tangible way to lead another to Christ and to see um, a witness of our suffering is also a beautiful way to be like, wow, how is she infuriated that this happens? Oh, it takes courage to face and to feel pain, but mm. how, what we do with that and how we live that is a beautiful opportunity to witness that, to lead others to Christ. There's a, there's a wonderful uh, Presbyterian minister and, and writer, Frederick Buchner, who died just a, a few years ago. But he had this terrific insight that there's a party, a banquet of being, and you've been invited to it. And the party can't really start without you. God really <laughs> wanted you yeah. at the party. You matter that much to mm -hmm. God. And mm -hmm. that's what you communicate, mm -hmm. I, I think, mm -hmm. as a sister in, in, in Manhattan. Yeah. You don't really pose a threat. I mean, what you're wearing uh, it yeah. isn't uh, threatening to anyone, mm -hmm. and you're not looking to, to rob them, to mm -hmm. swindle them of the mm -hmm. little they have. Mm -hmm. You want to give them, you want to mm -hmm. be a conduit for mm -hmm. a compassion that you don't generate, but, it, but that you somehow mediate 
You yeah. transmit it. It comes mm -hmm. from another. Mm -hmm. yes. Let me tell you about this, this guy. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's and, true. Yeah, and I think the mediation is, is, my suspicion is that that's part of why you did the book, is, mm -hmm. is you had the litany, but that you understood that God was going to be able to use that, use your story mm -hmm. to lead other people. So maybe that, that process of coming, okay, mm -hmm. you've got the litany, but now you want to be able to provide a retreat to people. Yeah, so a litany is um, a type of prayer that has this back and forth, you know, this invocation and response, and there's something playful about that. I, I do like the, repeti uh, the repetitious nature of, of, of the claiming of these truths. Mm -hmm. At the same time, a retreat, which um, is such a unique opportunity to kind of withdraw and to encounter something a little bit more, um, like to let something sink in. Mm -hmm. So the combination of using this litany, which I really love, I mean, as a sister, I can talk about Jesus to blue in the face of somebody, but what I want is for them to talk to Jesus, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so to have a prayer with in the first person and saying all of a sudden, they tuck away in their corner and all of a sudden they're saying something directly to God about a very deep place in their heart. And when we start to say something, we're anxious to hear how the response is. I just opened up, oh my gosh, I am a little anxious about the future. What does he have to say about that, you know? And that is a beautiful opportunity of the litany, but how to navigate that space can right. be hard. And right. so the, the retreat was really designed to deepen that dialogue with Jesus and say, um, to give people courage to really open up and listen. Yeah. You know, the anatomy of the litany, I think, is interesting. Mm -hmm. It's in two parts. Mm -hmm. You know, the yeah. first 15, you know, from the belief that I have to earn your love, from the fear that I'm unlovable, from mm -hmm. false security, and the fear that the trusting you will leave me more destitute and go on. You know, each one is a deliver me. Yeah. But then number 16, that you are continually holding me, that your love goes deeper than my sins. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it's, it's pivoting from yes. the negative yes. hurdles, the impediments, <laughs> to the positive. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and at each point, in each chapter, you have a story. You know, it's like Walter Chiswick as a kid who's yeah. so stubborn. I didn't know that he was a Pennsylvanian, much less that he had these, you know, obstacles to overcome, and that he just channeled that kind of willfulness to become a saint in the Soviet Union. And others, too, like Padre Pio saying, marry her. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, that's yeah. probably my favorite, you know. Because <laughs> you're trusting you, God, but you're trusting yeah. his mouth. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> the, the example you cite yeah. of Solanus Casey, mm -hmm. oh, who, who yeah. I think yes. Father Grishel, had yes. a great devotion to mm -hmm. him. But here's a guy who zealously but, but haplessly tries to learn the trade of being a priest, and he's hopeless. And so they say, okay, you can mm -hmm. be a porter. But really, he's opening and closing the door yeah. of Jesus. Come in, go uh, out, mm -hmm. here's Jesus. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. You do mm -hmm. what you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really think that this book, when I was writing it, I was hoping that it would really be a return to the heart for people because our life is so noisy and there's so much now social media and um, so many things to distract our intention, but God is speaking within and we don't realize so much of the pain that we carry and the frustrations that we encounter. Um, God wants to lift and yet we're living outside and you think of St. Augustine that you kind of, you're living without and God was within. And so this return to the heart that, oh my goodness, as I recognize the truth spoken or I recognize an ache in my heart that I want something more here, or that I don't realize how much I need God, and He's okay with that. Like, that that can really bring this, this new life, and not only meaning, but a beautiful union with Christ that the heart really is made for. So, it was a gift. Okay, what is the routine exactly? I mean, how do you receive these, these pregnant mothers? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know you welcome them, but you mm -hmm. don't draw them immediately into the chapel and say, okay, <laughs> kneel down and we're going to do yeah. the litany, and yeah. then you can eat. 
Yeah. <laughs> you don't club them, but how, how do you entice them? Yeah, we receive them. It's in, in some ways, we look at how God has loved us, and what worked with us is often what works with another, you know? Just this reverential stance of this marvel of another person in their life, and um, so often the suffering that we don't know about that is slowly mm -hmm. unraveled and as we begin to hear their stories and, and accompany them. Um, but I really think, you know, one woman who lived with us um, was um, Muslim background and she was working with Jewish people in New York, so really hadn't encountered Christianity close up. And she said to us one day, um, your love is different. Your love is different than anywhere else in the world, you know. And we said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, you give and you don't expect anything in return. And this is, this is, I mean, this is Luke 6. I love Luke mm -hmm. 6, you know, when Jesus is talking in such a wild way that really sets him apart and sets us as his disciples apart and says, you know, I say to those who hear, you know, love your enemies, you know, do good to those who hate you. And these women um, have beautiful hearts, they have tremendous struggles, but they're testing our love, as we all do when we're learning how to, how to live our lives in relationship with others. And this, you know, we're not here to control you. You can feel what you feel. You're allowed to feel what you feel and yet we're here with you and we love you, and that there is a love that is worth fighting for in your life. God sees something in you that is just beginning to awaken upon your awareness. Mm -hmm. This dignity of your capacity to love this child, this capacity for meaning that your love is unique, that you have a mission in this life, you know? As if he had been waiting from yeah. all eternity uh, yeah. to give this woman mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. You know, at the beginning when you described the experience of coming back from the clinical, when you were exhausted, yes. you realized that God is, is present in the place of suffering, mm -hmm. only they don't know it, mm -hmm. they can't see mm -hmm. him. You know, and it must be the case that one size doesn't fit all because every person is different, so every place of suffering has to be different. And so yeah. it, there can't be a simple regimen. You know, mm -hmm. if you go through these steps, you can stay for us a month right. or whatever, you know. Uh, yeah. There really has to be an invitation. But yeah. in a certain way, you can be the, the fingers, the hands of Christ but he has to be the one that's true. to meet them in that place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's really, I mean, that, that struck me at the time, you know, mm -hmm. a few minutes ago, and mm -hmm. now again, mm -hmm. it's a kind of laser beam. Mm -hmm. It's so precisely true. Mm -hmm. It's so deeply personal. Mm -hmm. And so you have to just, you know, take whoever walks in, I imagine, mm -hmm. which must, I mean, we have that <laughs> when we have kids. Yeah, you take what true. you get. You, know? <laughs> you can't give you them don't back. do like no. you don't have a checklist, yeah. you know, of quality. But I, I do think that one of the beautiful things about the litany is that when you go through the various litanies, that the individual who's coming to you, one probably resonates more than another, mm -hmm. or e even in yeah. seasons in life, yes. you know, as I was going mm -hmm. through that, that, that I could see at the time of the initial mm -hmm. call that, okay, this is mm -hmm. one thing, and coming into a new job, and this is something else. So it's, it's this constant battle, isn't mm -hmm. it? That, that you continue to wrestle with that and come to understand what it means to trust yeah. the Lord. And in that way, it can be a, a similar to a, a type of examine. You know, when I'm reading this, what is resonating or where do I feel like God is kind of drawing my heart? I need to pray for trust in that area. Yeah, because seasons do change and new responsibilities or grief, different things that can yeah. now come to the fore. And I just found myself thinking that when you first wrote this, it was, you're already a sister. Yeah. So, to, I mean, that's very humble. Yeah honest, mm -hmm. vulnerable question to say mm -hmm. as a sister, yeah. what does it mean to trust? Yeah, yeah, yeah great. Mm -hmm. well, well, we'll be right back with more Franciscan University Presents. Please stay with us. People waste a lot of time stressing over things, and if they remember that they can put their total trust in God, He will take control and everything else in their life will fall into place. 
trust is not something that comes easily, but something that has to kind of come over time. And he has just always come through for me. And so that's something that I've kind of grown in, in just the sense of like, you pray for it. And if he shows up, you know, you can trust him. And again, it's not something that's so easy, but it's something that you kind of grow into. And especially with trust, it's a lot of prayer and a lot of discernment of like, I need to trust that it's his will over mine, but also that he's God and I'm not. What if you discovered a university with unmatched science, faculty, and programs? A place where you didn't have to choose science over faith. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith-inspired, student-focused, research-driven programs leading to satisfying careers in medicine, scientific research, engineering, computer science, and many more science and health fields. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, education is more than just a word, it's a discovery. Welcome back and thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, which we record here in the Com Arts Studio at Franciscan University in Steubenville. Our students are operating the cameras and the equipment and our theology professors, Dr. Martin and Dr. Hahn and I are discussing the topic of trusting in Jesus with our guest sister Faustina Maria Piabianchi. Mm. You've talked a lot and you work a lot, sister, with, with people whose trust has been deeply, deeply violated how do you begin to restore that with someone? You, you, you alluded a little bit that the Lord uses you in that, but how does he intervene and how does he bring about that restoration? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say I'm sorry to all those that have experienced those deep betrayals because it is shattering. It is shattering. And I would agree that there's sentiments that a person can experience in that place of suffering that resonate so deeply, like, I'm never going to get over this. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I can't let go of that or I, I can't picture a mate, like, ever you know, being able to have a relationship again or, or whatever it is. Because on our own, that would be true. On our own resources and our own strength, that would be true. With God in the picture, it changes everything, of course, Almighty God. And I think that's the key thing, is this experience of this unconditional love that God offers. That, that If we don't believe in that, then there isn't that same hope to get through something that would be so shattering and damaging at such an intimate core place of our being. Um, I invite people to um, get to know Jesus. Obviously, we can't trust somebody we don't know. Sure. So that can be through a relationship, like we were talking about, just being uh, like wedding people's path for Jesus. The way she talks, or the way he talks about Jesus, I don't know that person. I want to know that person. And of course, the scriptures are, are beautiful, and um, and the life of the churches offers so much to, to as an on way to get to know Jesus. But I invite people to honest dialogue with any relationship. The relationship takes a deeper turn when we can be honest in a kind of vulnerable way. And that is essential for growing and restoring that trust to say our prayers like we really mean it, you know, mm -hmm. to say, Jesus, I need you. And I, maybe I, I just am so annoyed that I need to need you, but I need you. And to be able to admit exactly how we feel. And I joke around with people, I'm like, Jesus is a big boy. He can handle it, you That's know. Right. Absolutely. But this honesty is a catalyst for so much grace and healing and we're delighted and surprised by God's goodness. The way he looks at us is the truth of our being, but we're surprised. He sees in us this beauty, this strength that we don't see. And we need to see ourselves in God's gaze. And so this honest conversation is followed with being able to sit in that place, you know, and um, having the courage to listen. How does he respond? That takes courage. I can't just, you know, show up and then run away and, and wait, you know. I, I to sit there and and to say, well, what do you say, God? You know, do you really love me? 
I need to know you really know. I, I don't want somebody to tell me it. I need you to say it to me. Please reveal yourself to me. God is so faithful to that. He's, he's waiting. He's aching for that moment. So I think those are huge, small steps. Yeah, and I think one of the things you do in, in the various lineages is, is try to combat that. The one that struck us is that your love goes deeper than my sins and my feelings and transform me in that. Yeah. Uh, there's something that resonates with the experience of St. Francis. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he's up in the caves, that was a profound moment for him that he believed that God could even deeper, right? Mm-hmm. That his sin was deep and it was such a part of him, but the Lord's yeah. love was deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And that's an encounter and experience with, with Jesus' mercy that changed him, that, mm-hmm. that changed his, his mm-hmm. trajectory. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up St. Francis because I was <laughs> struck I by <laughs> a sentence that, that you spoke the other day in one of your uh, video uh, oh. meditations. It's all about the leper, mm-hmm. that Jesus can turn what's mm-hmm. bitter and make it sweet. Uh, he wants to breach the walls of this world, the walls of your heart. Mm-hmm. It's all about the leper. I mean, Francis was drawn to the leper. I mean, this utterly Im- repulsive mm-hmm. uh, figure he's yet fallen in love with. Mm-hmm. Somebody once uh, reproached Flannery O'Connor for writing about freaks. You know, why do you <laughs> fill your stories with all of these demented people, you know, leprous people? And she said, well, because I believe in them. Uh, the, the freak is a figure for our own essential displacement. And despite being displaced, God loves the freak. I mean, he made so many of them. <laughs> you know, present company included. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, Pope Benedict Emeritus, you know, uh, Ratzinger, spoke of this one crucifix that was done as a painting in the plague where Jesus is leprous. Yeah. Mm. And all of these victims of the plague just could not look at anything else mm after that, you know, it was the source of healing even if they died, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think we, we have to realize that when Jesus calls us to love the leper in our lives, that, you know, it's, it's like a three-way mirror, you know. We realize, okay, Jesus was a leper. Mm-hmm. You know, he bore our uncleanness. Huh, but it's our uncleanness? Mm-hmm. So I'm a leper that he loves and wants to heal, Mm -hmm. but it isn't like a quick fix, you know, you're cured now, move on, you know. It's a lifelong process, Mm -hmm. and you know, it's a fortunate thing that St. Francis wasn't given the vision of Jesus aglow with glory in his cruciformity Mm -hmm. until later when he gets the stigmata, Mm -hmm. because, you know, the leper is like a big Mm -hmm. baby step, Mm -hmm. but to recognize that I'm going to bear the wounds of Christ, you know, it's the school of suffering, but you know, there's elementary school, mm-hmm. then there's junior high, <laughs> senior high, and yeah. he gets his doctorate, you know. <laughs> but I mean, that's really all saints mm-hmm. are. Saints are those who don't drop out, but they stay in the Keep school going. of suffering. And mm-hmm. you know, they might die in ninth grade, or in fourth grade, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you just stay there, yeah. then suffering is like, I don't know, it, it's like a chisel in the hands of a divine sculptor who is working on my hardness, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it isn't pleasant, mm-hmm. and it doesn't intrinsically breed trust. Mm-hmm. And so you need grace at every single hammer blow, mm-hmm. uh, and you need that to help people because, you know, it's like the catechism says, forgive those who trespass against me. Yeah. The catechism says, that is daunting. And I'm like, that's the understatement <laughs> of the catechism, you know, and it yeah. goes on to say, we can't do it in our own power. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why we have to suffer to realize we need power that comes from outside of ourselves. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think that trust helps us not separate suffering and love, you know? Right. Because 
yes, our, our, our lifetime, you know, our faith life and our journey with Jesus is taking us to Calvary, you know, this elementary to you know, high school. And that can be scary, but when we know that it is love, it is love, it's not suffering or love, it's, it's love, it's just love that this person I'm walking with is seeing in me the capacity to receive mm-hmm. his power mm-hmm. to suffer. Mm-hmm. That I'm not, of course, God chooses the weak, as he always does, that what the task ahead is is not the concern, it's my ability to receive it because he will be what I need. And even in that is that we live in a culture today that uses the word love and, and it's a pet peeve of mine, you see these little bumper stickers that say, love is love. Yeah. It simply is fundamentally not true. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've had too many kids that have come to my office that have been forced to do things, mm-hmm. quote unquote, out of love. Mm-hmm. Isn't that part of what you have to do is a whole mm-hmm. new trust in love? I mean, when yeah. you use the word mm-hmm. love, I'm sure mm-hmm. some of the women that have come to you, mm-hmm. they've said, if you love me, and we have to help them in just that basic understanding of what that means, right? Yes, it's very true, and that's true for all of us, you know, in this culture, understanding love. But a real love is the guiding force, of course, for us is our charism, this, this dignity of the sacred, you know, dignity of a person, which is a reflection that we're made in the image of God, that God is sacred, that God is holy, that God is sharing that life with us. And the boundaries that we have when we see the commandments, it's not this, oh, you can't do this, you can't do this. It is protecting mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. Father who is so zealous to have the fullness of life given to each person. And so even though it does feel like tough love sometimes to have those boundaries, which God's um, you know, love helps us navigate, it's a huge trust that the church has given us things, that we don't have to think through all these boundaries, mm-hmm. that as a father, he has those boundaries, and we see them like, oh my goodness, he's protecting me, because they all, somebody who has been left and abandoned by somebody with a child all knows, gosh, this should never happen. Right, right, they know it. Right, right. There's something fundamental yes. to that, right? Yeah, I w- while you were uh, speaking, sister, I was reminded of uh, a beautiful line from Leon Bois, mm. which uh, I think Graham Greene used to adorn one of his books. Uh, there are places in the heart which do not yet exist, but into those places comes suffering mm-hmm. so that they might have existence. Mm-hmm. And you think about that, that Grunwald, that's the painting that you were describing. Perfectly hideous uh, uh, Mm -hmm. Christ, but he entered into that hideousness. He becomes Mm -hmm. the leper, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how we recognize him. Mm -hmm. I I thought your exegesis of the the parable of the prodigal son Mm -hmm. was really spot on, Mm -hmm. that God the Father recognizes his own son Mm -hmm. in both brothers, both Mm -hmm. human sons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uses the very same language. You know, you were dead and now you're alive. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus. Mm-hmm. And everything I have is yours. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is witnessing to the Father from inside these two sons who don't yet know it. Mm-hmm. And he testifies to a truth that they haven't yet come to. And I think your job, your apostolate, is to present that truth to people who really are suffering. They're mm-hmm. prodigal souls. Mm-hmm. All of us. So don't stop. <laughs> yeah. Is there is there a particular uh, litany that speaks to you most that you go back to the most, or is it just seasonal for you? Particular line from the yeah Lord? yeah. You know my favorite line is actually that you are my Lord and my God. I just yeah. love that, that too. Like I just to love it. I love that I can say that He is mine and that He's my Lord and my God. Like it changes everything. Mm-hmm. That has changed everything for me in my life and. When I believe that, then I'm not concerned about my weaknesses. Then 
I feel this freedom from fear, then I have this deep peace that steadies me that I'm ready to give Jesus the car keys and say, drive me home. Like, I, I, I kind of want to go that way. I don't want to go this way, but you're driving. You can I can do that. the gas price. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so it really is a tremendous gift, yeah. Once yeah. again, it was the way you said it. You know, yeah. I've said it many times. Yeah. My Lord and my God, yeah. you know. But the accent mark just fell on my right. yeah. Lord <laughs> my God. Yeah. You know, I think mm -hmm. of my professor, my tester, you know, my grader. <laughs> and, but it's my mm -hmm. Lord that mm -hmm. personalizes this yes. in a way that yes. really presupposes my friend. Mm -hmm. You know, because mm -hmm. I've said this, and I have to be careful not to say it in the wrong circumstance, but if God were a sadist, what would be different? Yeah. Not much, but he's not. Mm -hmm. But he allows suffering in a way that is just quite honestly mm -hmm. extreme to the point of excessive. Mm -hmm. yeah. And why? Well, we have the easy answer because he wants more from us than we want from ourselves. Mm -hmm. and. He wants to give us himself, and so he mm -hmm. takes away all of the other gifts to make himself the gift. Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, okay, I can say those things, but I can't suffer very well yet. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that is why you know, it, it, the first 15 are still my favorite. Yeah, but just listening to it, it, it is the, it is the mm -hmm. fundamental step in trust. I mean, yeah. many of these things deliver me from fear. Fine, yeah. but, but that's, that's a whole bridge to another that place that, that I'm going to make this step in the midst of suffering and, and mm -hmm. I am actually going to find God present. Now, obviously, it's the nature of the cross. Then, then when yeah. we look at this, and it's one of the things I love about being Catholic is the corpus is there. Jesus isn't going to invite us to the cross mm -hmm. and just leave us there, right? Yeah. But that that's the step. It's the, mm -hmm. the, the from the movie, I don't know, Indiana Jones, where he makes that step and there's nothing below that oh, yeah. mm -hmm. that the Lord is. But But when we make that and when we discover that, it's, it changes everything. It changes, when we find Jesus mm -hmm. in the midst of the leper, in the midst of my own leprosy, it changes everything. Mm -hmm. At least for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you did the Camino, so maybe it's a permanent change for you. Yeah. But I trust and I have a breakthrough, and then I also break down. <laughs> yeah, but, but, then, but, but even that, you know, because I think it's, it's, it's building up muscle. It, it's, it's a memory. There's, True. there's experiences that I have that True. says, yeah, I was sharing with somebody recently that I'm going through something that's really, it's really kind of awkward and difficult, and, but it's strangely familiar, right? And, and that strangely familiar is grace that, that lets me know that I've been on this path before, mm -hmm. I've been on this journey before, you've been more than faithful, there's no reason you're going to bail out of me now, so we yeah. can keep on going. Yeah. But that because you've experienced that. Yeah, I, I don't claim that trust is easy, so I think that's just fair. I, I use the word demanding, and it's... Mm -hmm. I love to think of it in the best way possible that it actually demands what's so precious. Like God mm -hmm. won't settle for a half gift of ourselves. And what is so beautiful about the saints is not that they were these amazing people on their own right, but they gave God permission mm -hmm. in a radical way. And I, what God is, is asking of us when, he, when we're asking our trust is um, something that nothing else can, can, can kind of wedge out of us. It's this fire that, that kind of turns us into the diamond, you know, that that forges this pure gift that I'm not doing it for any other reason but for mm -hmm. you. Like, and I really think that when God gives us these freely given gifts, you know, like our life, you know, forgiveness of our sins, eternal, you know, heaven with Him forever, we can't pay Him back. You know, He's saying, "You're worth it. You're worth it." And then for each of us, you to be able to stand in front of that mystery is not, yeah. not a bad place to be. No. Next, our panel and our guests will share their final thoughts on what it means to trust Jesus. Please stay with us. 
So as a college student, uh, things can deviate from the plan. It's hard to be uh, not upset when things deviate from the plan. So completely trusting in the Lord and knowing that He's doing all things for good and that His plan is better is just really helpful for me, both in my spiritual life and my college life as a student. There is a place where education begins and faith and reason connect. Franciscan University of Steubenville's online programs will advance your career through an e-learning experience that's both academically excellent and passionately Catholic. With online degrees taught by full-time professors in theology, catechetics, business, education, and other disciplines, you can earn your master's degree online without changing your lifestyle. Find out more today at franciscan.edu, where your faith and career can connect online. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment, Reaches. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I mean, there are an abundance of, <laughs> uh, of thoughts, but primarily, I, I think, uh, thoughts of, of gratitude. I'm really grateful to you, Sister, for the Thank book you. and for your uh, blessed presence here mm -hmm. uh, this morning. It's, what, what's astonishing is that uh, you're so soft-spoken. <laughs> One could hardly hear you, and yet, it, it unleashes a, mm -hmm. a power mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, overwhelming, mm -hmm. uh, irresistible, irrepressible. Mm -hmm. So uh, keep doing what, what yeah. you've begun. I mean, God is working great things uh, in your life uh, for the life of, uh, of his family, which includes mm -hmm. everybody, but especially mm -hmm. the poor, the unloved, mm -hmm. the unlovely. That seems to be uh, the focus of, of your ministry, your mm -hmm. apostolate. And, and Father, I was really struck by the, the use of the word uh, corpus uh, mm. when we look at the cross. Mm. You've got to be able to see this guy mm -hmm. who is put to uh, infinite, endless, exquisite torment. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you can't identify with him. I mean, if he's an antiseptic uh, Jesus mm -hmm. who, who hardly entered the human condition at all, I mean, who's interested? There, there's a, a wonderful woman by the name of <coughs> Heather King who wrote a book called Redeemed. Uh, and she begins by saying that the, the kind of crucifix she likes best of all are the ones that you find in Mexico, <laughs> where Jesus has this great big hole in his chest because it's been blown out mm -hmm. and the blood hemorrhages everywhere. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of guy she can identify. He, he says, look, give me your pain. I'm not going to remove it. I'm not going to give you meds. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you myself. Mm -hmm. Let me enter into your pain. Mm -hmm. he, he, he comes closer to us than we are to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the way you communicate that, I, I suspect, to these pregnant women is, is really magical. Mm -hmm. It works miracles. They see their lives as really precious. You matter to God infinitely. In, in, in the scriptures, we, we, we see that Jesus is only amazed twice. The first time with that centurion, a pagan. Uh, he's amazed by his faith. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he doesn't need Jesus to enter his house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. In other words, the extent of his thirst, his expectation of mercy is so great that automatically he gets what he wants, and yet he's not even a believer. Mm -hmm. And the other time Jesus is amazed is when he thinks about uh, the crowd in Nazareth mm -hmm. that don't believe. He's baffled by their unbelief. It, I mean, it's so easy to believe because I'm offering you everything. Uh, let me just end quickly with uh, a good friend of mine who, very holy, uh, for years and years would always repeat the same prayer. Jesus, I trust in thee. 
have mercy upon me. Mm. That's the cover mm. of your book, yeah. which is a wonderful cover, <laughs> by the way. Thank you, Regis. <laughs> Dr. Hahn, well, I think thought. back to what you were saying, Father Dave, about that bumper sticker, love mm. is love. Mm. You know, first, it's a bumper sticker. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Second, it really is a false message. Mm. You know, love mm. is love unless it's counterfeit. Then it's not right, real right, money. Right, right. No, no real <laughs> currency there. No real exchange takes place. And so what is the proof that love is not counterfeit? Well, it's a willingness to suffer, but suffering by itself, apart from love, is pointless, it leads you to despair, and so you need a person to mediate that kind of love from mm -hmm. Christ. I mean, it would be nice to have just a, a direct line to Jesus for each of us, but you are that person, your, your, your sisters are that, mm -hmm. those persons too, and in that respite uh, there in Manhattan. But I think back on, on how our Lord used my, my wife, you know, mm -hmm. I can say after 43 years, I, I, I didn't know you could have this kind of friendship. I didn't mm -hmm. see it in my parents. But I also didn't know that you could find someone who hurts you so deeply. Mm -hmm. She hurt me more in 43 years than everybody else put together. Mm -hmm. And I hurt her much more than she hurt mm -hmm. me. You know, we used to have conflicts on a regular basis. And then we were like, we know what, where this is headed. Let's just mm -hmm. cut to the chase yeah. and <laughs> apologize. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> so I, I feel yeah. as though we need relationships that are human in order yeah. to begin to decode the, the covenant of communion and love mm -hmm. with our Lord. Yeah. And mm -hmm. thank you for being that. Mm -hmm. But also, just once again, thank you for writing this. Mm -hmm. Because as I mentioned, at you know, the St. Paul Center, we published this at Emmaus Road, and we didn't know that like every single one of our 40 plus team members mm -hmm. had read it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you, yeah, you too. And we all had that's great. favorites. And so mm -hmm. thank you and thank God for you. That's great. Sister, your final thoughts? Sure, well, we live in a world today that does, largely doesn't believe in God. And those of us who do believe in God, it's hard to trust him when there's difficulty. And as much as I get the difficulty in trusting in God, part of my heart is really hurts that God isn't trusted, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think about the times that we've loved somebody and they've rejected that love and how painful that is. And part of me really just wants so much for people to give God a chance, you know, to give him a chance in the place that is most difficult to trust him. Because my entire experience of trust and learning trust has been an experience of freedom. Mm -hmm. Actually, just this amazing freedom to live, to be who I am, to receive who I am, to let his love flow through me in this unique prism that is my life. And I really think that God, when we learn to receive this unconditional love, which at first feels uncomfortable, like we should earn this or whatever, and then we learn to step out in courage and love somebody who we don't think deserves our love. When we do that, we become the miracle that this world needs, the presence of God, the witness of this love, this source that is beyond us and that every heart is aching for. So. I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful for my patron saint and this beautiful message of mercy that we can trust something so reliable. And for the Blessed Mother, who is a beautiful mediator of that love, who learned to trust in phenomenal ways. Beautiful, thank you so much. Um, if you would like to learn more about today's topic, we have a free handout for you, the introduction to Sister Faustina's book, uh, Jesus, I Trust in You, which includes a litany of trust itself. The handout is yours for free simply by going online to faithandreason.com presents or calling the number that we will provide momentarily. Um, I, I've just, first off again, thank you so much for uh, writing this, for praying, for listening to Jesus and to trusting in him. I mean, we wouldn't have this if you wouldn't have trusted mm -hmm. in him from the moment that you were 
a college student trying to figure out what he wants to do, this mm -hmm. continual trust. And that was one of the things I was thinking of during the, the book is, is that the Lord would bring you step by step mm -hmm. by step, and, and it led you to various steps mm -hmm. in your life. But it was because that we trusted in this, that it led us to this. Mm -hmm. and, and if my guess is, I'm certain, if you'd have heard something like this when you were in college, you probably wouldn't be there, right? Mm -hmm. But you had trusted the Lord. Um, I found myself reflecting on uh, confession, and it's a great grace of mine, but oftentimes at the heart of the confession is the lack of trust. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've done over the years is I invite uh, the individual to repeat after me, and I said, Jesus, I don't trust you. But when they just put it that way, that, mm -hmm. that blatant, they, they, they almost, almost always, the response is they kind of giggle, or, because it sounds so ludicrous mm -hmm. to say, Jesus, I don't trust in mm -hmm. you. And yet the nature of so much of their confession is just that. It's an mm -hmm. in, in inability to trust. Mm -hmm. And I just invite them to pray over that, that, that that statement sounds so crazy. Jesus, I don't trust you because everything that he's ever done proves that he's trustworthy, mm -hmm. proves that he's good, proves that he's holy, proves that he loves me, proves that he's going to take care of me, proves all the, all the proof is there. Yeah. So this, this wrestling with, with that, fundamentally, can we trust him? And for us to be able to just sit with that and wrestle with that. And, you're, and you do a beautiful job at leading us. So why don't we pray for that? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Sister and her listening to you and her saying yes to you. We thank you that you have loved us first. Father, I pray for the individual who's struggling to know that your love, that you would break in to their heart, let them know your love, your presence, your mercy. Allow them to find you in the midst of their broken heart and their wounded heart and restore a trust that only you can bring. We thank you, Jesus, for your love and your care and your concern for us. And ask you to bless from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Download a free handout on today's topic at faithandreason.com, where you can also watch past episodes of Franciscan University Presents. Or... Request the handout by emailing us at presents at franciscan.edu or reach us by phone for today's handout by calling 800-783-6447. That's 800-783-6447.